So at this time, our kids can go down to Children's Church. Uh, my wife, Megan, is having the kids down there today. So if you have a, a child, uh, she didn't tell me what grade through, but I think they're fifth grade or something tonight. So if you have a, uh, today, if you have a child uh, and you would like to have them down for the Children's Church, they can go down there. Uh, we love our children and we're excited that uh, we have a program for them to learn about learn about Jesus uh, downstairs. So be in continual prayer for them and uh, for the workers down there. They, are, they sacrifice their, their time and effort so that the kids may know about Jesus. And so we're excited for that. Uh, a boy was watching his father, a pastor, write a sermon. How do you know what to say? asked the little boy. Why, God tells me. Oh, then why do you keep crossing things out? <laughs> so, some, sometimes you feel like that as a pastor, right? feel like God tells you certain things, but when you're working on messages, it, some, sometimes it comes easily and quickly. Sometimes it's you know, a short process, and sometimes it's a long process of just continually dwelling upon what it is that God wants to say and uh, researching about it. Today, we're gonna, I'm going to share with you from Judges, Judges 6. Judges 6. So you can turn to that. We're kind of going to be just centered in that passage today, so you guys can feel free to turn there. I know sometimes I speak from many different verses, and so sometimes I'm jumping around, and it's hard to, to keep up, but we're kind of going to dwell in this section this morning. So starting in Judges 6, it's near the, it's near the, beginning, of the beginning of the Bible there, so you, know, you can look in the, I think in the front of most of the Bibles, it tells you, has page numbers if you're trying to find it. I don't know which page number it is in our Bible in our pew, but so Judges 6, it begins, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Malachites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to, to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, other land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. Ooh, that's, that's interesting there. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, the Bizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. All right, let's just pause right there. We're going we're gonna to keep going back in there. But seven years of oppression from the Midianites. They went through seven years. It's interesting, sometimes they were disobeying the Lord. They had turned away from God. And so he allowed them to go through this oppression. And after that, they began to cry out to the Lord. And that's when he brought somebody their way. 
And that, that's the part that comes next. It's interesting, if you look at what Gideon was doing here. So he was in the, the wine press, stopped like, threshing the wheat, which was very unusual because usually you would do it out in, in the open. But he was trying to hide it so that he could, so the Midianites wouldn't get it. Like he was afraid of them. So then in verse 12, it says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Ooh, how many want someone to say that to you? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Um, that, that's a pretty good way to start a conversation, right? Someone comes up to you and says that, you're like, ooh, I want to listen to this person. What, what are they going to say? But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So this part's interesting because, you know, Gideon knew his history. He, he, he knew about the wonders that occurred with them getting out of Egypt. He, he knew the history of what God had done. And then in verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. And then Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon went in and prepared a young goat, from, and from an ephah flour he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket, and its broth in a pot, he brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it, that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands. And so, this, so if you think about this, Gideon met the angel of the Lord. Like the angel of the Lord, if you, if you look at the, at the scriptures and, and find out where the angel of the Lord appeared, it's kind of been consensus that the angel of the Lord is basically God or it's Jesus before Jesus came uh, to the earth. So the angel of the Lord, meeting the angel of the Lord was a, was a big deal. So when this angel came, originally, Gideon's talking to this person, and he, you know, he's, he, has, he has a few doubts. He has a few doubts, reservations about the situation. I mean, think about it. In verse 15, he says, how can I save Israel? My clan's the weakest. I'm the least in my family. You know, he wasn't too confident in himself as a leader or deliverer. When I was in high school, I was shy. I was very shy. I, I believed in Jesus. I became a Christian at a young age. But when I was in, in middle school and high school, I was, I was shy. I had, I had my twin brother who I was with. But when it came to talking to other people, I didn't really know how to relate to many people in a school situation. I felt very awkward, strange. I didn't feel like I was like other people. I wore my Christian t-shirts, brought my Bible to school. But when it came to actually talking to people, I didn't know how to even have a conversation, much less share Jesus with them. Like, I, I didn't know how to just say, hey, how's it going? Let's talk about sports, you know? Let's talk about the twins. Oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't talk about that. Sorry. Um, 
But you know, like, I, I didn't know how to have com- like just regular conversation with people. And I, but I, I would pray, and I would, I would say, all right, God, you know, I feel really inadequate. I feel really awkward. You know, like I told you before, I had lots of acne back then, you know. Those many reasons that I just felt, felt awkward in that situation. I felt inadequate. Like, all right, God, how am I going to reach people for Jesus in this school when I can't even talk to people? And so God kind of moved me in different ways, little steps. I don't know if you guys have heard of See at the Pole. Every year, it's a time where, where Christians go around their flagpole at the school, and they, and they pray for about an hour before school starts, and they, they just pray for people. And God put on my heart to lead that one year. And so, was, you know, one of those awkward things, I just wrote down different things to pray about on, you know, a notebook piece of paper. I had like two or three pieces of paper, you know, standing outside and pretty frigid morning and just, all right, let's, let's just pray. But I, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those small steps that I took kind of in obedience to God, even my being uncomfortable. Another area was he gave me this idea like, all right, pray for five friends. Like, pick five people. Okay, they might not be my friends, but pick five people that you know and pray for them every day and look for opportunities to share with Jesus with them. So I wasn't perfect at this in any way, but I prayed for them every day. There was some times where I had an opportunity, and one time where I talked to, was able to talk to this person about, about God, and it was really amazing. There was a time when in science class where it was like a kind of a study time, and we were sharing this conversation, and it, got, it, got a, it was a really strange conversation. It's something, you know how kids get in, you know that kids get in interesting conversations with each other? And so we had this conversation. It was like, okay, well, what if somebody killed your, your brother or your mom? How would you, what would you do? How would you treat them? And uh, I was like, well, I'd forgive them. I'd forgive them. I don't know if any of you guys have followed the news recently. There was this, this story of this, this brother whose, his, his brother was killed by this lady because she thought that he was, in, he was in her apartment, but he was in his own apartment, so she, she killed him. And then she, he, at the sentencing, after she got sentenced to, to time in prison, afterwards, he made a statement, a statement of, for, of forgiveness towards her, and even asked the judge, can I, can I give her a hug? It was an incredible moment of forgiveness from this young man that you, you couldn't, you know, most people could not imagine it. It's captured the, the world's attention because it's so unusual. It's so different than anything that people could ever imagine, that type of forgiveness. And so we're having that conversation in science, and I was kind of talking like, oh, I would do that. And, you know, everybody around like, that's, you know, that you would never do that. Who would do that when somebody does something like that, their family member? You know, the science teacher's over there listening. <laughs> you know, he's, this is the time where it's just the kid, you know, just the students talking, but he's like, hmm, this is interesting. I wonder where this is going to go. But, I, but it was, this was, you know, I, I was an awkward, I was awkward. I didn't talk to people in class. So this was like one of those moments where it's like, oh, I'm going to share, you know. It's not, and nobody came to Christ at that moment. It wasn't anything like that. But, but to even have the, the guts to open my mouth and talk was a lot. There was one time where God put on my heart, all right, I want you to give WWJD bracelets. Like, what would Jesus do? Bracelets were popular back then. I want you to give those to five people, write them a letter, tell them you're praying for them. And, and so I did that. And even later on, years later, one of them said, I still have that letter. I still have that bracelet. Thank you for praying for me. It was like, so God used it, but it was kind of little stepping stones. It's little stepping stones. Gideon had doubts. He had doubts, but he also was obedient. He was obedient. You look at this, where he, told, where he said, 
okay, I want, when first Gideon, it was amazing. He brought this, this sacrifice, this offering to the angel of the Lord. But then when the angel of the Lord said, do this, do this, put this here, do that, Gideon was like, all right. <laughs> he did exactly what the angel told him to do. So he, but he had to grow in his faith. He had to grow in his trust and his leadership. How many of you know that sometimes you have this idea that you, you see somebody that's very successful and you're like, I want to be there. I want that. But how many of you know it takes steps? You have to grow into the position or into the place where God wants you to be. But I love it too because Gideon had a relationship with God. You know, he would, the Lord told him like, you're going to defeat the Midianites. You know, but what does Gideon say after that? He said, ah, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you. You know, and that's where he brought the offering. Like, he, was, he still had doubts. He still had fear. Have you ever wondered if God can handle your questions? Have you ever wondered, can God handle my doubts? Can God handle my inadequacies? Can God handle the, you know, the problems I, I feel like I can't handle myself? It's awesome that we have an example right in the Bible of someone that dealt with that. Like, he, he was able to have a dialogue with God, a relationship. In verse, in verse 25, it says, That same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. So in the morning when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the sheriff pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The men of the town demanded Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the sheriff pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal is re really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So that day, they called Gideon Jerubbaal, saying ba that Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Isn't this, isn't this, this, this is one of the most interesting Story. So Gideon was afraid. He was afraid to do what God told him to do. You know, so he did it at night instead of during the day. You know, has anybody ever, that God ever asked you to do something and you're kind of afraid to do it? Anybody ever have that? Like, you know, so you should, like, you should talk to that person about Jesus or you should invite your friend to church or you should call and pray for your neighbor or maybe you should go to bed earlier. Anybody ever heard that one? Yeah. <laughs> you need to stop lying. You know, whatever it might be. Have you ever struggled with obeying what God is saying because of fear. Fear of what others might think. Fear that you are not good enough. Fear of being rejected. Gideon dealt with some of the same fear, but he did follow through and obey God, eventually. It's to, Martin Luther King Jr. said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. So think about this, what happened here. This idol, this, this Baal idol, was Gideon's father's. Like, it's something that his father built. You know, his father was disobeying God. But you'd think his father would be pretty angry, right? 
when he woke up that morning and is destroyed. So when they're all coming saying, you know, your son deserves to die, you would think that he would be a little upset too with his son, right? But I love how Gideon's father handled the people of the town. Have you, have you ever done something to protect a family member? Have you ever done something to protect a family member? Some of you are smiling at me like, mm, yeah, I've done something. <laughs> Anybody ever do something stupid to protect a family member? <laughs> so it's, it's interesting what happens here because Joash steps in and he, and he had amazing wisdom. I mean, he flipped the script and he, instead of like addressing this issue of this thing his son did, instead he said, Okay, if Baal's so great, if your God's so great, why doesn't he kill my son? Why doesn't he take care of it? If he's so great, why he can handle it. You don't need to. I, 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 that's, I, I'm impressed by how he handled that. Because, I mean, it, it's like a, a mob coming at your door saying this person deserves to die. And it's like, how do you diffuse that on, the, on a moment? How do you diffuse that? And it, I, I love that, how that happens. There's, there, we could get into one of the things that you could be a whole sermon about is Gideon and the fleece. You know, later on, later on we well, it talks about the fleece before God. So, so after that, you know, it's like, where, where are we at? In verse 33, it's, it says, Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other pe eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, and also into Asher, uh, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece, and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said." And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test of the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. All right, so th this could be a whole sermon in itself. The fleece. Gideon doing fleece. Should we do a fleece before God? How many... All right, you guys, this got to be real honest here. How many of you ever put a fleece before God? How many have ever done that? Yes, there's some people that are admitting, you know, you ever say like, all right, God, if the light turns green in the next three seconds, I will go talk to this person. Or if, you know, many times we put out fleeces before God. You know, okay, if you'll make me better by morning, I'll go to church on Sunday. Or, you know, there's, there's many different fleeces that, that we put before God. And some people talk about Gideon. Gideon was a man of faith, but they talk about the situation like it was a great step of faith, when in reality it was kind of a reflection of doubt, <laughs> as a reflection of his, his doubts. God had already told him, you are, I'm calling you to go. You were going to defeat them. So God already, already basically said, go. This is what I'm calling you to do. And so this is, this is you know, kind of more of him doubting and not trusting God. And this... So, you know, sometimes we can say, okay, well, Gideon, I can understand why he was like that because that was before he had the whole word of God. Like, we have the whole word of God. That was before the Holy Spirit came, and so we have the Holy Spirit to help. Most of the time when we put out fleeces now, God's already speaking to us. We just don't want to listen. <laughs> we just don't want to, really. God's telling us to do something. We're like, 
well, maybe I'll just put out a fleece. Maybe he'll give me a different answer so I don't have to do that. You know, most of the time, God's already telling you what, what he wants you to do. He really is. And uh, so in Judges 7, 2, it says, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands. In order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. So Gideon was fighting this, this battle. He had this army, you know, it's just, his army was much smaller than the other army. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know the exact numbers here. I don't know if it's like 200,000 people that he was fighting against. Or, it, was a, it was a large amount. And so he had all of these men he had, he had 32,000 men willing to fight. But God was like, that's too much. That's too many. How many of you would be like, would think the same way? You know, you're fighting this army, 100,000, 200,000 people. You have 32,000. Like, eh, we have too many people. We need to get rid of some of these. I was like, <laughs> I'd probably, you know, most of us would probably be among those uh, 22,000 that took off, right? <laughs> Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back now. 22,000 men left. So they still had 10,000. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water there. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down to their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of others. And so it, and he, during, the night, it's, during the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant. So the, again, it, it says, if you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp. It's interesting. It says, and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So guess what? They went down to the camp because Gideon was still afraid. He was still afraid. God had told him multiple times, I'm with you. I'm calling you to do this. He put the fleece. The fleece happened. And yet he still said, hey, if you're afraid, go down there. If you're, if you're afraid, go down and listen to them talk. So Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend a dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came, tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such a force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friends responded, this could be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash the Israelite. God has given him the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. Because he realized that it was God. He realized that it was nothing to do with him. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the midnight camp into your hands. So he divided the, the, them into three companies with empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me, blow out our trumpets. Then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow and, and shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 
So the Midianites ran, crying. They, they began to, to kill each other. God, it, it's, I, sometimes I try and read this story and try and figure out, okay, how did this look? Anybody ever wonder, like, okay, they had these clay jars, like, they're covering their torches. Like, how, how did they carry that? You know, their trumpets. It's, sometimes, I, you know, you wonder how, how that actually happened. But at the time, so they basically surrounded, and then they broke the jars at the same time. So all of a sudden, there's this light all around this opposing army. There's trumpets blowing. How many of you have ever been like something happened, like a noise or something happened that startled you? When we were first here, all of a sudden I started hearing these rumblings and these things. And I was like, what is that? You know, I find out, oh, that's because there's a quarry by there, you know. And, you know, the, I, I didn't realize that. You know, there's sometimes where you hear, where you hear a noise suddenly, where you see something suddenly and you are surprised. You're all of a sudden, you're alert. So that's what happened. And the, this, the army started panicking. They started, they started all killing each other because they were afraid they were going to die. And God brought about the victory. He wanted them to know that it, it was his battle, not their own. 300 men. 300 men. I mean, think about where Gideon was. Gideon was fear. He was dealing with fear, dealing with inadequacies. I'm not good enough. I'm the least in my family. Anybody ever feel that way? Like, I'm just the least. Like, you know, if you want somebody that can really help you, ask my brother or ask my sister. Like, they're, they're the talented one in the family. They're the, they're the smarter one in the family. They're the one that is closer to God in the family. They're the one that just, you know, they're, they're greater. Like, they, they should be the one. You know, getting ahead of those feelings. When you have those feelings of doubt, when you have those feelings of inadequacy, you are not alone. In the Bible, there was people that dealt with the exact same feelings. And, and it was okay for them to come before God with their inadequacies, with their fear. God helped Gideon grow. He helped Gideon become a leader. He helped Gideon to trust. Think about it. At the end of this, Gideon is going with 300 men to 500,000s. He went from being in the wine press, threshing wheat, trying to hide because he was afraid someone was going to steal the wheat, to now fight, going into this fight, this battle. God had brought him to an incredible point. He began, he, he trust, changed, completely changed around and started to trust God like he never did before. Sometimes the poor we are, the more inadequate we are, the, more, the less resources we have, the more likelihood there is of being willing to be dependent. And that is the key to Gideon's experience. An unshakable and strong faith is not something we develop overnight. It should be tested and developed through time. What is it that God wants you to do? Do you find it impossible to believe? You know, the truth is, whatever God wants from you, it probably will be even more impossible than you can imagine. Yet when you obey him and trust him each step of the way, it will make sense what he wants you to do. God is accomplishing his purposes on earth through men and women today. It is a great thing to be obedient to God, to be part of his plan. My challenge to you is to dwell upon the story, to go back and to read it again, to put yourself in his shoes. Even when he was afraid, God came to him and said, Mighty warrior, I'm calling you. He had, 
he thought of Gideon in the truest sense of who Gideon was. Just like that, that song was saying, who you say I am? Who does he say that you are? Who does he say that you are? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I pray that we would, we would take this story of Gideon, that we would understand that there's some things in life that there's sometimes we're going to deal with fear. There's sometimes we're going to deal with feelings of inadequacy. But you don't want us to live in that place. You don't want us to stay in that place forever. That when you look at us, you see something different. That you want to teach us trust in you. You want to teach us how to follow after you. To be used for great things. God, I pray that you speak into each person's life today. If they're just, if they're, if they're struggling, if they're, if they're feeling inadequate in any way, or feeling fear in any way, I pray that today would be the day that that would be gone. That even right now, Jesus, you would come in and you would eradicate all fear. That they would no longer feel like it's dependent on their skills, their talents, who they are to make a difference in this world. It's upon them to, to make all their success. Instead, that they would realize that their dependence upon you is the only thing that matters. Their dependence upon you is what brings success. Their dependence upon you is what brings people to know you, Jesus. God, we need you. We need to depend upon you. God, I pray that as we go from this place today that we would hear your voice, that we would have divine encounters, that you would speak to us about and that we would have opportunities that we would not ignore when you tell us to speak. We appreciate that you give us many opportunities, that there's times when you speak, and there are times that we don't always listen right away. I pray that your, your mercy and grace would be great, and that you give us an opportunity to hear again, to hear your voice again, and to obey. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your presence. Amen. Amen. Well, have a wonderful week this week. Uh, feel free to come back uh, Wednesday. Just so you know, this uh, Chuck's going to be doing the Wednesday night prayer and, and praise here. My wife and I are celebrating our 15-year anniversary. We didn't, we didn't get away in September, so her parents are coming to watch our kids for a few nights. So we're getting away, so we're very excited about that. Remember to pray for us, just safe traveling and everything. Uh, but thank you so much for coming out today. Uh, greet one another as you leave, and if you are a visitor or somewhat new, please fill out one of those sheets so I can know your name. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>